Albert Einstein once said that all religions, arts and sciences are branches of the same tree. As today's technology and global risks race ahead of our understanding and stretch the boundaries of humanity, we face unprecedented ethical conundrums. I believe that reaching beyond the sciences and religion to that third branch, the arts, offers essential insight into these challenges. I call ethical decision-making on the borders of humanity, ethics on the edge. We all teeter on the edge. How do we define a life well lived in a partly virtual world? Where do we look for moral guidelines and truth when curated selves befriend each other through algorithms? How do we make conscionable decisions in the uncharted territory of civilian space travel, designer genetics, and artificial intelligence? And what about the problems that are still on the ethical edge, but shouldn't be, such as inequality or racism? Please join me in conversation with some of the world's leading artists and arts world pioneers as we explore some of today's most challenging ethical questions through the lens of the visual and performing arts, architecture, and literature. I'm so grateful for your speaking with me. It's really an honor to be here. It's taken you every split second of your life to get to this moment, but then again, it's taken me every split second also. Well, we're gonna come so. to, to how we, one gets to the 90s, as you have in a minute. Yeah. Before we get to some of today's most pressing ethics issues, could you tell me if there are certain guiding principles or some kind of a North Star that you have that have, that have really underpinned all of your life adventures. I loved your memoirs. Um, oh, thanks. Even this I get to experience. And whether it's the military or raising six children in different generations or the entertainment industry, of course, or the purchase of the Declaration of Independence, a rare copy, are there principles that guided you along the way? I never thought this about my title of the book, even this I get to experience. Mm -hmm. But it's true of every split second. Even this I get to experience. I'm very well aware that it took me every split second of my life to say this. And now it's taken me a few more seconds to pass that moment and say this. So is living in the moment important or what? It's everything we have. Living in the moment is everything we have indeed. And I was struck in the book, you talk about consistency mm -hmm. and how you were somewhat surprised but pleased to see a sort of consistency across your life. Was that consistency in how you approach decisions or what kind of consistency did you mean by that? I think I saw that later in life looking backward, I saw the okay. consistency. You know, people commend me for this, that, and the other mm -hmm. thing. And, uh, Sometimes I take it with a grain of salt. Sometimes I really understand it. Mm -hmm. But that which I take with a grain of salt, I'll think about later. I'll think, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Why, when I was uh, 12 years old, my father was in prison. Mm -hmm. I was living in Woodstock, Connecticut, which is uh, a beachy kind of area where uh, this was during the Depression, all my my uh, family gathered in one cottage owned by my grandparents because they couldn't afford to be in their own cottages. Mm -hmm. 
What got me through that summer was a blue and gray sweatshirt. I put it on every late afternoon, and for some reason, and nobody understood me. Nobody knew what I was going through, all the uncles and aunts and cousins. They didn't know what the hell was going on with me. But this sweatshirt was everything in the world to me. I put it on in the late afternoon. I felt slimmer and older and wiser and smarter. And, and uh, I used to walk to a place called Sloppy Joe's and felt with a hundred strangers at this place that I felt more at home than I did with all the relatives back at the cottage. Mm. Well, I remember reading at the beginning of your memoirs the experience of being nine years old yes. and watching your father go off to prison and a relative saying to you, so now you're the man of the house, which, to be honest, yes. as a reader... Yes. So the, the guy that would said that was buying my father's red leather chair right. in which we would listen together to the radio. When, uh, so that chair was a reliable place to be, and it sounds yes. like this sweatshirt was a reliable moment in your day, something you could count on. Yes, it was something indeed I could count on. And uh, the red leather chair was the chair in which I spent so much time with my father listening to the, fr every Friday night there would be fights coming from Madison Square Garden. Mm. We listened to the fights together. You know, there are two little words we don't pay enough attention to, over and next. Okay. When something is over, it's over. And we're on to next. And that's the best way I would have of describing. Somebody asked me, what do you mean by living in the moment? Mm -hmm. Over, next. If there was a hammock in the middle, that would be living in the do moment. Do you have any advice for those of us who sometimes have difficulty letting over be over? Most people have difficulty letting over. Mm -hmm. You know, they're uh, thinking about what they might have done, what they should have done, mm -hmm. not what they should be doing mm -hmm. and what they should do next. Well, that's wonderful yeah. advice, and I certainly could benefit from that. If I can switch gears a little bit. So I grew up this with... This is your interview. You can do anything <laughs> you want. Thank you. I grew up with All in the Family and the Jeffersons and Maude and all, right. the, all the rest of your wonderful, uh, wonderful hits. And I recently watched, again, with my 23-year-old son. Um, I have twins, as you do, so he's a twin. The um, very first episode of All in the Family, the Meet the Bunkers episode. Yes. And I was so struck. First of all, we both laughed all the way through it, even all these decades later, and even a 23-year-old. But I was so struck by the fact that you had Vietnam and Nixon and Catholic charities and pollution and food contamination and, of course, gender inequality with those two chairs, the big comfortable oh. one for Archie and the kind of less comfortable one for Edith and then the apron, of course, for Edith. And on and on, I was so struck by how many different issues you put together. and. It, I've been struggling with the fact that we tend to silo social issues today and look at them one at a time. But in fact, they're all kind of together in one big basket we can call context. And I'm just wondering... Well, they're all in, together in yeah. our lives. Yeah. I mean. And I'm just wondering, so first of all, with All in the Family and all of these, in all of these hits, how did you know just where to stop? Because you came very close to the line of how did you know just how much the public could take and even just how much the networks could take? I don't think I knew anything <laughs> like that, truly. We dealt with the subjects we dealt with mm -hmm. because it took me a long time to realize this. Mm -hmm. 
you know, because I used to hear, uh, you know, you got a message, buddy, there's Western Union. You don't use entertainment. Mm -hmm. you know. It took me some years to realize, wait a second, I'm a grown man, I'm a mature man, I'm a husband and a father. Uh, I take life seriously. I happen to know where the humor is mm -hmm. in the foolishness of the human condition, mm -hmm. which is the way I always thought of the human condition. And uh, so I see things through that perspective. The end of the telescope defines the comedy mm -hmm. in the most serious... I'm, I'm reminded of a good... The, a funeral of a mother of a good friend. Mm -hmm. The casket is being lowered, and I'm in the periphery with, you know, 50, 60 people standing around a gravesite. And somebody, a woman, very well-dressed for the occasion, has something she has to scratch in the area of her rear end. <laughs> and she's scratching through a skirt her ass. Okay. <laughs> and the body is being, and, but there's something funny about that. There is something funny about that. So I, I, I was, I don't know, 24 years mm -hmm. old, something like that. There is no situation where there isn't something to laugh at, some mm -hmm. comedy in life. Uh, that has taken me a long way. The understanding that with all the pain and everything mm -hmm. else in this situation, there's something to laugh at. Well, and there's a lot of learning from that laughter. I mean, at the end of the day, the reaction of my 23-year-old son was, my goodness, we haven't come very far on some of these issues, have we? Um, mm -hmm. We're still, we're still we're grappling, still grappling with, with it. All the things that make us human beings. Mm -hmm. I have to ask, did you have a favorite one of all of your shows? I think... Uh, Living in the moment, mm -hmm. you know, show after show, episode after episode, across the board, mm -hmm. I thought, you know, well. it was that was what was sustaining me that day, mm -hmm. and I don't mean economically. I mean my being, my feeling mm -hmm. was in that particular episode. So, uh, Mary Hartman comes quickly to mind. All mm -hmm. the family, of course, Archie comes right. quickly. Maud, come on, oh my God, Maud. Yeah. That woman. I, I really wonder what Maud would be saying today or during this past year in particular in the U.S. She made me laugh in parts of my body I didn't even know existed. <laughs> uh, I, it amused me just to think of but I, what do you think she would be saying today? I think she, she would be calling every spade a spade. I think she'd be calling every spade a spade, and I think she would be saying that we might have just come to the point where some things are just really not funny anymore. But when she called every spade a spade, she would realize the other meaning of the word spade mm. in the uh, street language right. of our time. Mm. And so there would be a big conversation about that, which mm. would lead to, why are we discussing all of it? Mm -hmm. Why are we tucking that away? I'd like to ask you about the Declaration of Independence. I thought it was extraordinary yeah. that you bought a rare copy of the Declaration of Independence. And I was just reading a copy of it on your wall in the office here. And there's mm -hmm. a line in there that says that there was this other copy made because until they figured out how it was going to be received, they didn't want to have all the signers' names on it. And I thought that was so interesting uh, in this Twitter culture that we have today and in this you know, debates we're having about free speech. 
I'm wondering if you think that free speech today has really come to where the, the writers of the Declaration of Independence would have liked. Well, the copy I had was printed the night of July right, 4th, 1776. It was printed, I don't know, four blocks away from the Constitutional Convention where a fellow by the name of John Dunlap had a printing press. And uh, these are called the, uh, the Dunlap broadsides. Mm -hmm. There might have been a couple of hundred of them that were mm -hmm. sent by uh, a pony, a, a pony group Express, of ponies, yeah. uh, across the 13 states. Mm -hmm. The copy uh, that I had, I had to sell because I was too big an investment for me to sustain longer than the six or seven years. Mm -hmm. And we traveled it all over the country with mm -hmm. money raised from American business mm -hmm. and so forth. I promised myself we'd get to 50 states. Mm -hmm. Many of those states we got to multiple times, but Wonderful. all of them we got to at least once. And with the message of, if nothing else, get out and vote, is that right? Yes. Yes, okay. and uh, we have concrete proof in an awful lot of mm -hmm. uh, pages uh, that we got in, in one of the elections, uh, we were responsible for four million young people. That's extraordinary, yeah. extraordinary. If you could do it, would there be another such purchase that you would make today and travel around the country with it with a message? Well, this interview we're doing mm -hmm. is going to get a couple of million people to vote that weren't going to vote. Where's that camera? I'm going to look directly at it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, if anything, if we ever had proof how much a vote means uh, in, uh, in a, a democracy, this is that moment. I think it's also the moment to recognize what a privilege it is to be living in a democracy, to be citizens of a democracy. We've recently watched a number of world events, Venezuela, even Turkey, where mm. free speech has gone by the wayside, certainly parts of Africa. And every day when I read the headlines, I think to myself, wow, I'm just incredibly lucky to be an American citizen. Well, I've, I always felt that way. Yeah. When, when, I, when my father went to prison, and I learned that it happened to be coincidental, in the same year he went away, I came across Father Coughlin, who was a vicious uh, anti-Semite mm -hmm. spewing hatred. He had a big radio show. And he spewed, uh, he hated FDR and he hated the New Deal and he hated Jews and he carried on uh, a great deal. If I wasn't taking civics classes as a kid in school, they don't teach it anymore. No, they and don't. I, I had every reason in the world to be as proud as I was about a country that made these promises that had not been kept. The last part of the Declaration of Independence alone reads, these people pledge their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. Mm -hmm. And I could cry thinking of the expression sacred honor mm -hmm. because I don't know where sacred honor exists. My head is crowded with members of the Congress and the Senate who are not mm -hmm. expressing mm -hmm. that part of them mm -hmm. that would fight. And how do we have conversations as a nation that reflect this sacred honor? But I'd like to come back to... You know to where we find the, the, where the sacred honor has been dealt with explicitly? 
you know, it is the most ironic thing and funny mm -hmm. in the world. The mafia. <laughs> the mafia. They the honor constantly among express, thieves, right? Yes, their sacred right. honor. Right. I'd like to ask you about a couple of themes now, if I may. Okay. We talked a bit about leadership initially, and you've met with all kinds of leaders in the world, including U.S. presidents. You slept in Lincoln bedroom, I understand. You met with President Obama. You had other presidents. President Carter uh, supported your Declaration of Independence project. What do you think defines ethical leadership, and what do we need to do to get leadership back to sacred honor? and back to making decisions that really take into account our humanity the way we might have seen in leaders in the past. The wonder to me is, mm -hmm. you know, when our current president came along mm -hmm. and it appeared he had a chance as a candidate, let alone right. to make it, and the American people finally voted. Donald Trump was the middle finger of the American right hand. Mm. They were looking at all the leadership they had and had for some years, whether it was political or uh, corporate mm -hmm. or medical or pharmaceutical, or oh, right. they had reason to be disappointed in the quality of the general leadership in every part of the American culture. Mm -hmm. And Donald Trump came along, what a great way to say, mm -hmm. take this. I don't know that I feel any differently about it right now. Mm -hmm. The American people are not to blame for what is happening now is because of the way they voted. They were prompted to vote that mm -hmm. way by the lack of leadership everywhere else. I think the pervasiveness you point out is incredibly important because we have seen it across industries. We've mm -hmm. seen it around the world, but we've certainly seen it across industries in America. And leadership matters. What you're basically saying is leadership matters because when it fails all around us, this is what happens. Yes, I've, I've written to several presidents mm -hmm. myself. Mm -hmm. I've had the opportunity to say I'm considerably older than you are to, <laughs> right. to a handful of presidents. But I need a parent in the White House. Mm -hmm. Please be a parent. Right. That's what we, your job is. Yes. And incidentally, one of the things that so struck me about this episode of All in the Family that I mentioned is that Mike had written to the president at the time, and Archie sits down to write to the president and makes a very that big deal about it. That was the second episode. Yeah, yeah, and then he sits down and he's wearing a suit and he's sitting at his table in his house, but all dressed up to write to the president and can't quite get beyond yes. Sir, Your Honor, or some combination of words like that. But I was very struck by that because it was doing something. It was saying, I have something to say, and I'm actually going to do something. Um, and in a minute, I'd like to come back to sort of what we should all be doing. But just to continue on a couple of specific themes, if I may, truth is another big theme. One of my reactions to the 2016 election was to propose a class to Stanford called Ethics of Truth in a Post-Truth World. Mm -hmm. And we're basically looking at, does truth matter anymore? And if so, why and how? Are you dealing with this crisis of truth or this epidemic of compromised truth at all in your work? Are you? You know, the, I love this interview and these questions, but they should be asked of somebody who has three days to think about it to answer the question. Okay, okay. Uh, please ask the question, I'll do the best I can, but mm -hmm. I mean, that was so deep, it requires so much thought. Mm -hmm. Am I? Dealing with the truth? Or this, this, the fake news, the epidemic of sort of compromised truth at all? What is known as fake news in good places, mm -hmm. I mean, that isn't really fake, but why is it there? Right. America deals most in excess. Mm 
wherever it it is it's it's working whatever it's doing mm -hmm. it's doing accessibly and uh, I mean I was part of a culture where we had three and then four networks right nobody was running around saying oh we need more content mm. how come we only <laughs> have four networks we have 257 or yeah. 932 I don't know how many yeah. places we can go for content and it's such excess. It's overwhelming. So the best of news sources are dealing with some things in the real course of things are, are trivia. Mm -hmm. When you talk about the truth, there often in media isn't time for the truth of anything really sufficiently important to us because there's so much trivia that needs the attention because everybody else is giving it the attention. Well, I mentioned to you earlier that I saw the trailer for your new show about aging. That's yes, who died, yeah. yeah. And it was hilariously funny. And at the same time, I thought, we really do need, as a society, to pay attention to that truth. And I'm wondering, can you tell me a little bit about um, what the themes are going to be in that show and, and when we can expect to see it? We're making a pilot for NBC. Mm -hmm. We should be making it sometime in February. We should Wonderful. be finished with it sometime in March. Mm -hmm. And if, they, uh, if we do a good enough job and the network likes it, mm -hmm. I would expect it would be on the air the following fall. It's about life among the a village community where people are living independently, mm -hmm. but in a village that's a retirement village. Mm -hmm. So there are golf carts are here and there. <laughs> right. There is a dance hall and a mm -hmm. you know or a, a a place where they all gather. And the fact of American life is the highest incident of. Uh, of sex-oriented disease is in Florida, where is right? exactly it is, in a retirement village, the highest in the country. I had no idea. So, uh, well, now if uh, how we deal with excess and so forth is, uh, uh, you know, is, is mm -hmm. true here. Mm -hmm. What they will make of this interview and the entire series is, let's talk about Florida and uh, let's talk about uh, sex in Florida and, and, among people yes, over 85 or something. Yeah, right? Hell with ethics, right, uh, right, right, throughout our lives. Right, but I do think we are not paying enough attention to the fact that people don't stop growing, people don't stop being important contributors to society, just because they're past a certain age. I mean. I couldn't wish you know, I mean, to endorse any thought more. I mean, I think no, it's, it's true. I think it's quite ridiculous that we even think there's this notion of separation from society. Mm -hmm. um, and there we probably have something to learn from other cultures. So in your 90s, you haven't slowed down one bit from what I can tell. Have you thought at all in the in this context of this show about this question of second and third careers and what, how people look forward when they're in their late 60s, early 70s? No, I, I, what I think about is I'm living my first and, uh, and perhaps, we don't really know, only life. Every, every minute, every second is a part of it. As I, you know, it's a fond of thinking. 
it's extraordinary. But the fact is that every split second of my life I have spent getting to talk to you. Everything I've been through. I have six kids. But all of it has prepared me for now. I've never thought about it that way, about all of life but experiences being... But yeah. that's... That's absolutely, that's absolutely right. And, and if the moment is good, how can you deal with regret? No, absolutely. Um, if it took every split yeah. second to get to a good moment, that's what it took to get to a good moment. So I'd like to ask you about another project that I just watched, which was your, your episode about New York housing inequality for America Divided. Yeah. What do you make of what we should do about a problem like that? I notice at the end of the episode you say, my goodness, this is such a big issue, and that's kind of how I'm feeling and wondering, how do we get a conversation going about some of these issues? But at the same time, I'm also wondering, you know, what would a show look like called What Are You Going to Do? You know, um, I don't know. And how do you? Uh, but and and so, what do you make of of these big challenges like the housing inequality and where we should go with them? You did. It was such a wonderful episode. Well, I don't know, are people going to understand what you mean just in those few words? What, mm. what we're talking about in those few words. The fact is, just mm -hmm. to express for your viewers, <clears throat> on the show that you're talking about, uh, a black guy. A man like me, mm -hmm. older man mm -hmm. with a big family and all of that and so forth, uh, is refused a uh, an apartment. There is nothing to be seen. He is told mm -hmm. uh, in a big uh, development mm -hmm. in New York, and I go the next day, the very next day, about the same time, to the same guy, and he's got two apartments to show me because the other dude was black and I was white. And uh, it's, you know, despite the fact that we promised uh, equal opportunity, equal justice, equal everything. Oh, we haven't gotten there. We haven't delivered yet. Mm -hmm. There's something extraordinary about the fact that we're still working at it, because mm -hmm. that is our pretense. We are still working at it, mm -hmm. but we're not at all there yet. We're definitely not there yet. And actually, watching that was one of those moments where I said, that feels like all in the family still. <laughs> you know? That's, it could be because the same individual was talking <laughs> right. about it. No, but it, it was very, so, so this episode points out the racial inequality and discrimi outright discrimination, the socioeconomic inequality, mm -hmm. um, and a very moving conversation you have with the mother of small children sort of wondering, what's gonna to happen to them, her rent has gone through the roof, yes. and I mean, heart-wrenching stories. Mm -hmm. um, what other kinds of stories are you gonna be telling with America Divided? Are you gonna continue on with that? Well, I, I did not produce that. I was simply asked to host one of the uh, episodes. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've agreed, because I had enjoyed the experience, to do it again. Mm -hmm. But other people are putting it together right. and putting the subjects together, mm -hmm. I, so I have no idea. So in addition to aging, are there other topics that you'd like to address in some way or another with another comedy or in another way with a project like the Declaration of Independence? It's, everything I've ever wished to discuss is still available to discuss. Okay. You know, parenting is still the problem. Parenting has always been, you know, growing up in this country that promises life, liberty, and the pursuit of has yet to deliver it mm -hmm. to 100% of its citizens. Mm -hmm. All these problems still so exist. So what should we do about that? 
What do you think we can do about that? Understand that we matter okay. and do whatever it is we can. Individually. So there are, in this city right now, you know, there are thousands of people who could write a postcard or mm -hmm. pick up a phone and make a call mm -hmm. who are thinking, ah, what does it matter so I make a call? Ah, what does it matter because somebody else will take the note and the person I really want to, will never mm -hmm. see it. Mm -hmm. And uh, we can't, any of us, afford to think that way. Mm -hmm. We have to know that anything we do matters. Mm -hmm. And when I think about matter, and I think this too, given the size and scope of the creator's enterprise here, this being a planet among a billion, mm -hmm. in a universe of which they say there could be a billion, mm -hmm. my sister who lives she's passed now, mm -hmm. who lived in Connecticut, who never left the state very much, and who had, in America's excessive terms, a very little life. Mm -hmm. in the, can you measure the difference in the importance of her and her brother, mm. given the fact that this is a billion planets and in a universe of a billion universes. We Perspective. All matter. And how much we can't get our fingers close enough mm -hmm. to measure the distance or the amount. We all matter is an incredibly poignant message. Uh, and the perspective on the billions. Mm -hmm. And watching the news, the one thing I am struck as again as an American um, is what we do matters not just for us, but it matters a lot for the rest of the world. And I ask you on a, on a slightly different topic, when you look back over your many adventures, and again, your memoirs were just so wonderful to read, was there ever a time when you had a, a wrenching ethical conundrum, just a, a decision you had to make, an action you had to think about taking where you just didn't know where right and what wrong was? If I tell this to you, will you force yourself to make a decision and tell me which would have been the better thing to do? Well, I think I deserve that, <laughs> if I ask you, you the know, question. No, I deserve it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'll okay. make an effort. I, I don't claim to know right and wrong or So in the middle of the blacklist, mm -hmm. all those years ago, mm -hmm. David Susskind was a major producer. I don't know if you're old enough to remember the his name. The name Isabel, yes. Uh, was a major producer. Walter Bernstein, who is approaching 100 years of age mm -hmm. shortly, wonderful writer, was blacklisted. Mm -hmm. I was asked by David Susskind to, he had, he, Walter Bernstein had written a script that the agent couldn't get arrested trying to sell right. because Walter was blacklisted. Mm -hmm. I was asked to put my name on that script. I couldn't bring myself to take credit for the brilliant writing of someone else. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I was letting down mm. a blacklisted writer who needed another name to, to, for the et cetera. How did you come I, to that decision? I, mean, I came to the decision mm -hmm. not to mm -hmm. do it, mm -hmm. but that was without making a choice. Mm -hmm. That was just backing away from the whole thing. Mm -hmm. It's uh, 75 years later or so, I still that's what. That's the question you're going to answer. Mm -hmm. Should well, I, so should can I, I ask take you first? credit for the 
for the work of another person and saved and, and, and allowed his... His work to be seen. His, yes. Well, what would you do today? Oh, I'm in the same, as, as I, I said when I started, I'm in the same place. Yeah. I, 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 was that work ever published? It was. Oh, okay. he's had a big career. Okay, yeah. Okay, so that specific so, work did ultimately... Somebody did, but okay. I refused to do Oh, somebody yes. else did. It oh, wasn't, somebody it else wasn't, did, yes. Okay, yes, yes, it yes. wasn't. And, and was that ever revealed, or how did that happen? No, I'm telling you a story that's never been okay. written in any place. So it never was a time when all the blacklisting and everything went away that that person came forward and said, I did this because I wanted the great work of this brilliant writer to be revealed to the public and shared with the public. But I want you all to know that it was not my work. No, that never happened. Been, it, it, no. Okay. I don't even know if if Bernstein got the credit for his own work. Oh. Ultimately. And if I can get to see him before, well, he's a hundred. He's coming to a hundred. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask that question myself. Because I find it. I guess if I start from the, the going backwards. I find it fascinating that somebody who would have, if we look at what the principles are that are at stake, clearly one is wanting to have brilliant work exposed and have the public benefit from it and have a brilliant writer have his work exposed. And then clearly another principle is that one doesn't take credit for someone else's work. And where I have the most trouble with your story, I mean, it's a very, very difficult question. Where I have the most trouble with your story is, with all due respect to the individual who chose to do this to take credit for the work the fact that that person never came forward and said I did this on a temporary basis in order to assure this great work saw the light of day but it was not my work and I want you all to recognize well, what blacklisting does to my knowledge right. that didn't happen okay but I'm just um, but, but it's a it, very it could have. you know it's a very difficult question um, first of all the time you were so young mm -hmm. uh, and I think that that plays into it but I certainly don't think anyone can um, find fault with the principle of not taking credit for someone else's work. And back to this word perspective, it probably was difficult to have perspective on the fact that that terrible political drama would end at some point. Mm -hmm. But I think the, the fixable part is that that political drama did end and at some point the work was going to see the light of day. So you probably made the decision that was going to best serve both principles because it, on one... On well, that's the answer that... that that uh, pleases me the most. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and I think that's one way um, that I look at some of the really complicated, because today's questions are very much gray everywhere or black and white everywhere. Yeah. Very few of the big questions, what, take gene editing, for example. Very few of the big questions are all black or white. If you're, if you're sitting with Huntington's disease genes, you want gene editing right now. Here's the... I haven't thought about this in the longest time, but all of this conversation brings me to this memory. I flew in the Second World War in the B-17. I was the radio operator and gunner. I flew mm. a number of missions. I was, because of my position as the radio operator, I was closest in the crew to the bomb bay doors. Mm -hmm. So I was the guy who had to get up and look over and uh, assure the pilot that every bomb had left the bomb bay and you could close the doors. Oh my goodness. So we dropped bombs 35 times. So 35 times I was the one who saw our bombs leave 
then gather with the other bombs from the other planes, and I've watched hundreds or more bombs dropping on Berlin, on Berlin once was the longest mm. mission in the European theater from Italy to Berlin. And I remember thinking as the bombs dropped, well, now we miss a target and one of them hits a farmhouse. I even thought a family is sitting around. And the bomb hits. Granted, there were planes in the air firing at us. There were bombs, you know, missiles coming up from below firing at us. It was mayhem. Oh, I, and I remember thinking when the bombs dropped, if, they, if that family were there, screw them. I, 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 I find myself gritting my teeth, repeating it even now. Screw them. I didn't care. Then I thought, hours later, Somebody comes up to me and says, Mr. Lear, if you sign this piece of paper, you will forever mean you didn't care if that family was destroyed at their kitchen table. I would never sign that. Mm. I would ever, ever, ever sign that. Mm. But the fact of my life is I've never been, thank God, I've never been tested. Mm -hmm. The fact of my life is that if it only took an instant, if it took all, even if it took all of those, mm -hmm. that circumstance, the fact is I could hold that thought mm -hmm. and didn't act on it, but it was being acted on. Mm -hmm. Oh, how we love, I would love to be in a conversation with all kinds of minds mm -hmm. talking about it and recognizing that that can exist mm -hmm. in a human being. As a matter of fact, I have six children. If to this moment, if somebody seriously hurt one of my children and it took five hours to drive to wherever that person was, I could kill the son of a bitch in front of his family. Mm -hmm. I, can, can, I can hate that much. Mm -hmm. I can wish to kill that much. Mm -hmm. Now. I don't want to be the person who would do that. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't sign the piece of paper that says I would. But the fact is, even as I tell you the story, mm -hmm. that's the feeling. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. But I think what you're saying is you're human. And that one yes, of the. Yes, you know, we have not explored exactly. in a general way our humanity. Yeah. Maya Angelou used to say, I am, she used to say a lot better than I'm going to say it, mm -hmm. but I am capable of the worst of mm -hmm. anybody else mm -hmm. because I'm human. Mm -hmm. I don't think we've explored in an honest way that part of humanity, and I don't think we've explored that in the context of what it means when we're making complicated decisions today, mm -hmm. and our decisions are just getting more and more complicated. I gave the example of gene editing. That's an extraordinary example of our humanity. Um, another one is the way I, I read that you said about Archie Bunker. This isn't a, a person really to hate. This is a person who has a lot of fear. And mm -hmm. I think we're at a point in time right now where we're looking at artificial intelligence and we're looking at efforts to achieve immortality and we're looking at all civilian space travel, all kinds of limits of humanity. And a lot of us are very fearful. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's another very human, human trait. 
I think we have to think about how to have that conversation about what it really means to be human, because certainly all of us have the, the Maya Angelou thing mm. in, um, in us. But I also read that Maya Angelou, and that you had discussed with her at one point a talk show that yeah. would be about yeah. these kinds of, you know, how the arts can help have these conversations that are so focused on humanity. It would yeah. have been an extraordinary person yeah, to have that conversation. We talked for several with. years about it. That's how we met. Mm -hmm. did, that, did anything ever come of that? Uh, this conversation? The talk show. So what do you have on the horizon? You have your show, you have Guess Who Died? I have one day at a time, it's on the air right, right now, mm -hmm. even as we sit here. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've made uh, 13 are up there, we made the second 13, they'll be going up there in a couple of weeks wow. on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And I'm waiting for the order for the next season, I'm quite sure that, that will happen. Mm -hmm and the new show. Well, I'd say yeah. that's enough to keep any 10 people busy. You mentioned Netflix. Can we just speak for a moment about technology? The way you reached an audience with your networks. I grew up with, you know, ABC, NBC, and I mm. was always really upset if on Sunday night my parents made me go to bed on a school night because there was no way to recoup the half of the show that I was going to miss. How does today's technology change the way you try to relate to an audience? whether it's YouTube or Twitter or in other forms of social media, does that change the way you think about your audience? It changes the way I can address the audience. Okay. Uh, I can't be topical. Mm -hmm. Okay. I can talk about the problems we have as human beings that don't seem to go away, that are ever there. Mm -hmm. uh, but I can't be topical because you make 13 and months later they go up. Mm -hmm. So, But then again, on all the family, I remember uh, that Nixon show that, right. you, that you mentioned, I was, can't talk about Nixon because, you know, you want this mm -hmm. to sell downstream. Mm -hmm. Five years from now, you want right. it selling. And, uh, and I remember thinking and saying, uh, funny is funny if they don't recognize the word or the person mm -hmm. or the, you know, the humor is still there. Well, and, you know, now as we sit here in just barely 2018, I mean, a lot of that show about Nixon certainly resonates with yeah. today's political drama. Congratulations on your Kennedy Center Award. I, I have you. not, and I hope you don't take this as disrespect, I have not dwelled on your myriad accolades because we'd be here all day, mm -hmm. but I read that you'd said you didn't want to be part of a White House celebration at all, and, you know, was President Trump going to be there? And I, I had a personal experience as I was an intern at the Kennedy Center when I was in college and basically oh, yes. amounted to sort of stapling and filing. But I remember one of the big privileges was we would get to attend all sorts of performances if there were free seats or even standing room. And yeah. I remember noticing the presidential box. And however many years later, I moved to London, I go to Albert Hall and I see the Queen's box. And I just had this moment where I thought to myself, wow, in America we have this thing that's it's almost like the monarchy or something in, a, in this national place oh. of the arts. But he didn't show. Um, you were not the only one who didn't want him to show. But I mean, I think that was a, that was a way that you could make a statement on your own as an individual. Well, when I, when I was asked if I would accept the award, mm -hmm. I said, I'd be thrilled, I'm honored to accept the award. But I wouldn't attend the White House because mm -hmm. that seemed to be uh, a part of the, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the event, mm -hmm. a prior mm -hmm. uh, luncheon or dinner or whatever mm -hmm. at the White House. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't go to the White House mm -hmm. to have to shake mm -hmm. the hand of this particular president. Mm -hmm. 
They thought about that for a moment and said it didn't matter, then fine. And that's when he decided, well, then he will not be in town. Okay, right, he had. <clears throat> and won't attend the event at all. Right. Just one or two last questions, if I may. You have six children that were across different generations. What would you... From 13 to 71. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, not 13, from 20. My God, they'd kill me. <laughs> I have twins who are 23. Right. What is the one life lesson that you would leave with them? Is it the live in the moment lesson, or is there another lesson that you would say? I guess that they matter. They matter. Each of us matters. Okay. Mr. Lear, thank you so much again. It's truly You're welcome so much again. Really, you're really an honor. Thank you. Welcome. I think what you're doing, in, you know, I wish to do is admirable, and I so respect that. Well, thank you very much.